Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 43 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all things USC. And of course, last few months, we've been solely focused on USC football. The season just concluded. So yes, we'll be talking about what the postseason holds. We'll talk about recruiting, all kinds of good stuff. This week on the podcast, we will talk about the Heisman Trophy. Yes, no Trojans are up for the Heisman, but we're going to talk to Chris Houston of HeismanPundit.com. Mark Sanchez could be in the mix of that next year. We'll talk all about that. He's got some interesting Heismanments. If you haven't checked out his site, it's pretty cool. We'll also talk to Dan Weike of USCFootball.com, get some insights on the program. And, of course, in the first segment, we love him, the Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, how are you doing today? Ryan, happy holidays to you and all of our listeners. Uh, it's great to be with you, and uh, the regular season is completed. We know who's playing in all the games, bowl games. Uh, it's really a, a special time of the year, but uh, I just want to say thank you very much for allowing me to be a part of your USC football uh, segments uh, weekly, uh, and uh, I've enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to just rolling through this part of the bowl season, and as you know, we go year-round with this, so there's always something to talk about. But thank you very much, and I just want to wish you two and your family a happy holiday and enjoy what we have and uh, and watch a lot of college football. But I think a year from now, instead of 34 bowls that are out there, we're going to be down to about 24 or maybe 20 because of the economy, and you start to see the NFL's making cutbacks. You see that sponsorships are dropping back and so on. So I'm going to tell everybody there, there's never been more than 34 bowls. And I don't think they'll ever will for a long period of time be 34 bowls again. But of course, that's just my humble opinion. Yeah, Coach, we'll get, let's, I love that topic. Let's get into that a little bit later. I want to thank you and wish uh, you and your family a very happy holidays, everyone else out there. I just want to let you know if you guys have any questions or comments for us, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. And uh, we also have a brand new website that I put up there. Uh, it's launched today, essentially. It's peristylepodcast.com. And uh, so that will be our new portal to get the Peristyle Podcast. You can still link to it from uscfootball.com. But I wanted to make it a little page, kind of fancy, like step it up a little bit, Coach. And uh, it looks pretty good. you got to check it out and see what the new page looks like. Well, I want to do that. And I'll tell you, your uh, website has certainly grown. Everybody's talking about it, and uh, I'm just glad to be a part of your huddle, okay? Oh, no, I thank you. I'm glad you are in the huddle with us. And uh, if you want to get in the huddle for the Rose Bowl, because USC's playing Penn State, and you need tickets, Southern California Tickets is your place to go. They are always our sponsor for the first segment, sctickets.com. You can actually get a link to them from the Peristyle Podcast page as well, just, or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. Now, Coach, you're the mayor of uh, Pasadena, if I'm not mistaken. You, you probably don't need tickets to the Rose Bowl. They just really, they, just show up at your doorstep. People start handing them out to you. <laughs> no, not. I'll tell you what. There's not any comps at the Rose Bowl. Uh, you've got to pay for your tickets. The only person I know that gets a comp ticket to the Rose Bowl game, yeah, I am getting a comp ticket, by the way, is the president <laughs> of the Tournament of Roses. You, I just thought about that for a moment. <laughs> 
Corky Conzendary is the uh, president of the Turn of Roses this year, and he gets a number of tickets and has his own private party. And, you know, I, I don't want to brag or say anything, but I am a part of his party, which means I will be getting free tickets to just about everything that happens with the Terminal Roses this year. Yeah, that's nice. A friend of mine was on, I don't know, there's all these committees up there, and he ended up, he can't go out on New Year's Eve because they have to, like, watch over street corners. They're up in perches and stuff. I mean, it's a huge ordeal up there. And this is, you know, people talk about, we're going to talk about bulls later on and the traditions, and there's too many of them and stuff. But the traditions go back so far and so deep, and the people of Pasadena and uh, the surrounding areas, I mean, they take this Rose Bowl parade and the Rose Bowl game very, very seriously. Oh, they really do. There's 990, I believe, volunteers in the Tournament of Roses, and they work year-round. When you move up and you become a vice chair and a chair, and eventually, if you're lucky enough, you become one of the 10 executive members. I believe there's 12 now executive members, where that means if you'll eventually be a president of the Tournament of Roses, you can't have a real job. Because it, take it takes that much time as far as travel and heading, in, uh, heading up different portions of it. In fact, last Sunday, I know we're not talking about football, last Sunday I was down at Phoenix Float Decorating, and they've already started decorating, which they call dry decorating. That's where they cut all the little seeds up, and they cut all the flowers, dried flowers up and so on. And then they start gluing those on the floats, because those are the first things they put on because they they don't not spoil or what I mean they're they don't have to be fresh. Then later on they put their flowers and everything on. So yeah, I grew up in Pasadena, so I'm very much aware of it. I've been to the last twenty, twenty five Rose Bowl games. In fact, I did the PA for the um last time Penn State was out here for the Rose Bowl game. It was Oregon and Penn State. I did that one time just to experience doing that. And then after that, I said, you know, this is too much work. I said, it really is. I mean, I, I couldn't enjoy the game or go do any tailgating or hang out because I had to be there early and learn all the names again and do all that. So I did it once, so I can say I did it once, and, and now I've been uh, attending the games and the VIP parties and coaches' parties, and I just really enjoy it because it is a special thing, especially if you grow up in Pasadena. No, yeah, it's a big part of the culture there, and it, it, it's just amazing how big that game is. If you've never been up there, definitely check it out. Got to see USC play in Penn State. It's going to be a great game, two 11-1 teams. But, Coach, just want to look back at that UCLA game. Uh, you know, it was – I think a lot of people asked me, is this going to be the week that Pete Carroll goes for style points? And, I, you know, we, I don't think we saw it really in the, the latter half of the year. They won nine games in a row. You know, they look good at times especially on defense. The offense obviously didn't look all that great. What did you take away from that victory over UCLA? Well, you know, I do a Trojan brunch show on Sunday mornings, and sometimes I'm too truthful. But I, I really give you my opinion, and uh, remember, this is only my opinion. And we appreciate I, your opinion, Coach. We like it. Yeah, well, when I talk about it, first of all, for a game such as UCLA-SC, I thought the game was a boring game. I think it was played poorly. I think the uh, penalties uh, added to the poor play. Uh, I was disappointed. Uh, USC had an opportunity to really impress the nation against a team that's a so-so team that someday is going to be, I hope, uh, a team that is makes it a one versus two, whoever's one and whoever's two, every year, uh, like it was this year, except uh, – 
it, it means more. It's, it's a great game. It's got traditions. It was great to see the Cardinal jerseys on away game and in the Rose Bowl and so on. But the game itself was not a, a well-played game. And I thought the defense, again, for USC was just dominant. The only way really UCLA scored was a fumble and then a trick play, which shouldn't have happened, shouldn't have been completed. Uh, the safety didn't get over there and knock the ball down like he should have and so on. And, and they got scored. And otherwise, SC would not have been scored on by UCLA. It would have been a shutout. Offensively, let me put it to you this way. Uh, the offense has sputtered the entire year, and the way I look at the offense, I never saw it get better. I guess that's the best way I should say it. I kept waiting week after week after week for the improvement. You know, if it wasn't, oh, he gets flustered, Sanchez gets flustered, this and that, he had a bad pass in the first down, uh, this and that. No, you know, that's all hogwash, okay? Without Sanchez, you don't even have a great offensive football team. He made tremendous plays the entire year. So I think they put him in a very difficult situation, and a lot of their non-success really fell on the shoulders of Sanchez, and I didn't think that was right. Uh, I think that uh, that the team does not deserve to be in the national championship game. That's not saying they can't beat anybody in the country, because on any given, given day they have the athletes to beat anybody. But I did not see them become a hot team in November. Yes, they won. But they didn't win at the pace that Oklahoma was winning at and Florida was winning at and Texas was playing at and so on to really get raves to move up in the poll. They stayed where they should have been. And Alabama, I had them the entire year ranked fourth or fifth. I think that Nick Saban did a great job, but I, I said all along that Florida would beat Alabama, and they did because of their team speed and what they can do offensively and defensively, because they do them both well. They just have, right now, better athletes than what Alabama has. So I think USC should be very happy and proud to be in the Rose Bowl. I think it's a great game. I think it's going to be a great game against Penn State, two teams 11-1. and one. I think Penn State is going to be the toughest opponent they play the entire year. And I really worry... And I know Pete Carroll worries. I, I'm assuming this. I really worry about the focus of the offense. Now with Steve Sarkeesian leaving, I'd have rather seen him pack his bags, leave, move on, be 100% at the University of Washington, which is a tremendous opportunity for this young kid, 34 years old. Become his head coach there and allow Coach Carroll, or Coach Carroll, if he chooses to, to have an interim offensive coordinator or make it may bring someone in to be the coordinator or or utilize the the leadership of the team and have someone working 100% for USC not maybe 25% for USC getting ready for Penn State who I think is going to be uh, a pretty good uh, challenge for them now USC's a 10 point favorite in the game but I'm just saying how I have never seen anyone that's leaving a company work 100% for the company he's leaving rather than looking forward to the new company job and getting ready there as far, far as hiring staff members, recruiting, and this and that. And who's going to pick up his recruiting uh, for the FC portion, the recruiting he's been doing? So, the, But Coach Carroll can do what he wants. I remember when Washington State came down here and played with Bill Duba and Mike Price. Mike Price came to the Rose Bowl game, and that team didn't have an identity really. Who was the head coach of that 
of that game. When I went to the uh, Lori's dinner, they asked me to go to the Lori's dinner. They asked me to sit with Bill Duba because I knew Bill because Mike Price was on the head table doing the speaking, but he had already been accepted as the Alabama coach. Yeah. So it's, it's very difficult for the kids to look to on who is our leader, and it sort of reminds them of Sark, Sark all the time when they practice. He's here, but he's not going to be here. It's better to make the announcement, do all your kisses and hugs, hugs congratulations, and we'll see you next year, the third game uh, in uh, you know Los Angeles or Seattle, wherever they play them. Uh, so in Seattle. Okay. You know, so yeah, I think there's a lot to what this distraction thing is during this period of time. Now you make some good points, Coach, and I think when you talked about the offense not getting better, and if you read the message boards, I know you read every day, Coach, the uscfootball.com message boards, there's been a lot of complaints about Coach Sarkeesian. I think that the main thing, I mean, there's a lot of individual little complaints, but I think the main thing is people feel that the talent that they have is not producing as well as it could. They don't think that, oh, there's, they can't run the ball because there's no good running backs. Well, they have a lot of good running backs, you know, and or there's a lot of good receivers, and there's a good quarterback, and there's, there's good guys on the line, but it doesn't seem to kind of come together. So I, I could understand, Coach, if they were putting up 50 points a game, and Coach Carroll said, well, you know, we want to keep Sark around because the offense is just clicking on all cylinders. It's really not. It, it almost would behoove them to just maybe mix it up a little bit and, and try something else. And if, you know, that, that I don't know. I mean, do you, do you know what I'm saying with that? It's, it seems like I, it's, I'm curious to why they would want to keep Sarkeesian on just because you know they haven't really performed all that well under him. Well, I don't know. They probably want to just stay to keep with the continuity of it and so on. But, you know, I, I really feel he's going to elevate John Morton. And I want people to understand it's not Johnny Morton, the receiver that played yeah. at USC. <laughs> this, I want people to understand it's a different person. You know, some people get confused with that, you know? They definitely do. So, they remember uh, that catch in the Rose Bowl back in uh, 90, I think it was, from Todd Moreno. Right, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I want. He, I think he's going to be the offensive coordinator. Why? Because he knows the offense, the current offense. They're not going to change the offense now. They've got 15 practices or whatever they have. They've won all these football games. So they want to have someone that can continue working with the offense and help put a game plan together with Sark, and, and Sark's going to stay, and that'll be his final game. And then I really think what's going to happen, and this is my opinion, I haven't, no one has told me anything. I think John Morton will become the offensive coordinator. I think Carl Smith will come in and be the quarterback coach. I think John Morton will be working with him and maybe stay with the passing game, and Carl Smith will get it, uh, work with um, John Morton with the running game. And then I, I unless – Pat Rule or somebody else leaves, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. I think that will be the offensive staff. So I think that's what's going to happen at USC. Pete Carroll has done a tremendous job. And who, who can ever criticize the records that he's had there? He does it his way. And, uh, you know, Sark said in the papers uh, this week he's going to Washington. He's taking the Pete Carroll method there. He's, gonna, he's not changing anything in recruiting. He's not changing anything on – the, what he's learned, because really, if you think about Sark, he's learned everything at SC. Yes, one year at the Raiders, I don't know what he learned there, but he, he's <laughs> hopefully he's he can forget it. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's called survival. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think uh, he was smart to be at USC. He's very fortunate to have a head job as Lane Kiffin is. I mean, think of the two coaches that's been there at their age. 
getting major college coaching football job, major. And that's because of Pete Carroll and the program at USC, not for any other reason. I'm going to tell you that right now. So, you know, Tennessee, uh, a great program. Washington, a great program. Uh, Sarge going to Washington. How can it be a better time when you're 0-12? You win two games, you're coach of the year. (laughs) So, you know what I mean? It's great for him to go up there, but I think it's very important for him to have a tremendous staff around him, and I think he's got to be Sark when he's at Washington. I used to tell my assistant coaches when they moved on, don't be me, be you, because you can't be me. You've got to go up there and do it your way, so if you win, you take the credit for it. It's not Pete Carroll's doing it. You're doing it, and if you can't and you get fired, at least you did it your way. So, uh, and Sark, I think, has a tough time if he tries to go up there and pretend he's Pete Carroll, but he's not Pete Carroll. He doesn't have Pete Carroll's personality. Pete Carroll is a very special person on and off the field. He is something that's unique. He's something that makes it happen. He's loved by everyone. And, uh, you know, some people don't have that type of charisma that Pete Carroll has. So you've got to do it your way. Uh, and I, I want to wish him, of course, the best of luck. But everyone can be replaced. Remember that, right? Everyone. I can be replaced. Pete Carroll someday will be replaced. John McKay was replaced. Uh, John Robinson was replaced. Uh, George Allen was replaced. So everyone can be replaced. So SC will be SC. So for all the Trojan fans out there, don't panic because it comes down to players. And Pete Carroll will always have players. And you mentioned about the offense, and I think deservingly people should be writing in as what they're doing because there's as many five-star players on offense at USC as there is on defense at USC. And I think what people look at, look at, they say, how can defense do what they're doing and accomplish it? Well, we have the players of the year on offense, and you know who they are. I don't have to bring them up from Michigan uh, from uh, Sanchez, the Mustang. I mean, I can go through them, five-star running backs, everything, linemen, and we cannot generate a consistent driver, even have the right people on the field at the right time sometimes. We're trying to be cute, and we're trying to trick people rather than line up, as Pete Carroll says, we just had to line up in our base defense and beat him because we're the, that's what we could do. Well, you should be able to do that offensively, too. Line up in your basic formations and just beat people. And don't try to trick people, but you got bigger X's than their O's. So, you know, I think that everything will recover. SC will have a great season next year. The Trojans will have a great recruiting class. Uh, they'll have a great game in the Rose Bowl. The only thing that's concerning me a little bit is the focus on the offense during this period of time when Sark really his main priority. And I'm going to tell you, I'm surprised University of Washington didn't say, hey, Sark, if you're going to be our head coach, we want you now. Because if I was the athletic director at University of Washington, I'd say, hey, we can't wait a month for you to come up here. We want you up here now. And that would be part of my deal. But uh, I'm not the AD at the University of Washington, okay? No, it's, I mean, it's so, a crucial uh, time, obviously. I, you know, guys that are in the NFL, they have contracts and they can't go, but it seems like it's easier to do that in college, especially if you're going from a coordinator job to the head coaching job. I think 
you, know, you would think Pete Carroll would understand and, and, and let him go, and then he'd kind of move on and try something else. That, there's, there's a reason why Pete Carroll didn't want him to go. Hey, Pete Carroll knows every move he's doing. He's an intelligent guy. He has a reason for everything he says. He has a reason for everything he does. And you've got to listen closely to him. And uh, for some reason, he wants him here. So he will stay here, and Sark will stay here and do what he says, because he would not have had a chance at the University of Washington unless Coach Pete Carroll endorsed him 100%. No, I agree with you, Coach. All right, well, let's see. Period, uh, period. You mentioned the uh, the bowl matchups, and I know a lot of the Trojan fans, you mentioned Pete Carroll's record, too. It's we, You know, we can sit here and complain sometimes, but the guy just wins every year, 11 wins for seven straight seasons, unprecedented. You know, they're going to finish, if they beat Penn State in the top four of the AP again, seven straight year, seven straight Pac-10 titles, crushing their rivals each and every week. And, I, you know, just the recent Trojan fans, maybe they, they're kind of used to it, but the, the older-time Trojan fans know that this is not normal. It, it would be tough. You know, when I was in school, if you could beat one of your rivals, that was a pretty good pretty good year. And this, you know, now it's expected you beat them both. So you can't really argue with what Pete Carroll's done. And I think people should get excited about this Penn state matchup. Cause it's going to be a great Rose bowl and 11 and one teams and great traditions and stuff. So I think all that is good. So don't, we're not getting down on the team. You know, that's just, it's just, you kind of nitpick. A oh little no. Bit. Yeah. Um, no, but, no, not at all. In fact, I'm excited to watch this game. You know why? I'm really excited to see what, what will Penn state, what type of team Penn state is and what SC will do to attack Penn state. I really do. And how they'll defense them. I really do. Now, I think SC will win the football game. If they don't win the football game, I'll be very disappointed. And I'll say that on the pregame show uh, when that comes about on January the 1st. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what type of adjustments. And, and uh, Williams has got to get well and, and all the things that are necessary. But they'll come to play. The Rose Bowl is going to be a great game. And Penn State has something to prove, too. The last time they were out here, they won. And uh, and it, it, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a great game. It's going to be a sellout crowd. There's going to be a lot of activities. And I'm going to be hyped just to watch the defense and the offense play and see what tempo they play at and see what happens during this layoff period. Because remember, Penn State hasn't played for two weeks. SC just played this past Saturday. Two weeks they haven't played. And they'll start practicing about the same time. So USC has that advantage because they've still in the rhythm of things, their timing and so on. Now, I don't think Penn State hadn't been out there throwing the ball around. You're naive if you don't think <laughs> they're out there keeping their timing. You know, maybe coaches aren't out there with them, but they're out there working out. But uh, uh, I think it's going to be a, a great game to see what happens. And, uh, of course, the recruiting classes are exciting when you start to hear about commits and so on. And... Uh, you know, it just—it's. It, I just want to see just how SC plays. I, I really want to see because, I, like I said earlier, I was disappointed every week. I stepped, wanted to see the offense step up. Uh, oh, two times I, I was impressed with the offense this year: the Ohio State game and the second half of Stanford. I, I can really say they had what you call a great second half against Stanford, and I like the complete game against Ohio State. But, of course, the defense just annihilated. You know, I don't think the kid ever played again, the quarterback. Returning quarterback no, came yeah. back, played in the net. Huh? Yeah, you're right. Uh, 
uh, just annihilate. I mean, the kid, you know, he got, got just so beat up that, you know, he's going to get a purple star here at the White House. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, that you know that that's what the defense like that can do. You know, and, and we believe me, when you watch USC on defense, now they'll have every tape of every game that USC played this year. And they'll watch it, and they'll show it to their players. And those players will watch it, and they'll say, wow, did they fly right on defense? Wow. But then they'll watch the offense. The defense will watch the offense, and they'll say, you know, they, they got some good backs, but we can stop these guys. There isn't that fear. But in the defensive side of it, there's actually fear when you watch them on that, that tape. Was, yeah, I'll tell you, they want to take your head off. It's not like they just want to play you. They want to take your head off. But when you look on the offensive side, you don't have that same fear if you're a defensive coordinator or a defensive player. So you think you can stop them. And when the game actually comes and you see the defense and you're an offensive player and you see them in living color, the size of these guys and the way they fly around, you start to become a believer that what you saw on the tape, hey, wait a minute, these guys are better than that. And on offense, if the offense stutters, then the defense believes they can really play with you. And all of a sudden, it becomes a great football game. So, you know, there's a lot to build up in a football game, especially when you have four or five weeks to get ready for a team because a lot of the impressions, they go to Disneyland together, you know, they see each other and, and all these different things. They size up each other. They really size up each other on who these guys are uh, from – Penn State, Happy Valley, you know, we're going to make it another valley or, you know, all these things the way kids talk today. <laughs> well, we'll definitely so, be. We'll you know, have some I didn't time need to ramble it. on that. I'm sorry. No, that's OK. We're unfortunately out of time. We can talk about the uh, the contraction of the bulls and stuff in a later podcast, but we'll have a few more weeks to talk about this matchup. I guess it's going to be a really good one. And uh, coach, thanks again for all your insights and stuff. And we'll talk to you again next week. You got it, buddy. Happy holidays to you, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. And, again, we want to thank Southern California Ticket Service because if they want to go to the Rose Bowl, then that's where you got to get your ticket because they are in Pasadena, and they know the Rose Bowl better than anybody else. Definitely. SCTickets.com. Check them out. Everyone else, we're going to have a really quick break. We're going to come back with Dan Weike of USCFootball.com. Stay tuned. The Peristyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. It's our second segment of the show. And as promised, we have uscfootball.com beat writer 
Dan Wykey. Dan, happy holidays. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on two weeks in a row, Ryan. I appreciate it. I know. There was such an underwhelming response last week that we, we had to get it back just to see if it was a fluke or what was going on. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Hopefully you're doing well. Um, season's over. Regular season is done. Uh, just kind of give an update on what's going on now as the team getting back to practice and, and what the schedule is going to be like. Um, you know, they're, they're uh, taking some time off right now for finals. Um, they'll be back on the practice field uh, this weekend. Uh, tentatively, Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, is as far ahead of the schedule as, as I'm aware of at this point. Um, you know, I, I think it's good. It's a little time to decompress a little bit and to kind of refocus and, and regroup, which, you know, after everything that's happened the last few weeks with this team, I think isn't a bad thing. I think, you know, it, it's always good to get to get a break um, granted, you know, it's not like they're sitting around relaxing, you know, they're probably studying over at Levy and, and, and working hard in the library and, do, and doing stuff like that and, get, and trying to get the academic side of it nailed down right now. But I do think that it's nice that they get a little bit of a break to get to get healthy, which some of the guys need, guys like Damian Williams, um, who heard his shoulder against UCLA, a guy like Kevin Ellison, who played against UCLA but was, you know, not 100% yet. And, um, I mean, it'll be good for those guys to get healthy um, and get back out on the practice field and, and kind of put it all together for one last push. Now, last year they did a little bit of their bowl preparation practices at the Home Depot Center. I know they haven't come out with the schedule, but have they, have they said anything about trying to mix it up a little bit and getting away from Howard Jones Fields for at least maybe a week or so? Um, no, I haven't heard anything like that. Um, it's certainly an interesting concept just because, you know, um, I think that part of the – one of the big upsides to a bowl game is it's nice to get your players out on the road on a trip to go do something or see something that maybe you hadn't seen before. And I do think that when it comes to the Rose Bowl, obviously they know the Rose Bowl very well. Um, they've known the Rose Bowl very well at USC for years. You know, I think I believe they've played in it over 30 times. And, and, you know, that in itself is, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. And, you know, this group itself has been there four years in a row. Um, which, you know, I mean, it's not like they're making a lot of trips. You know, I mean, they're just getting in a bus, driving to Pasadena. Um, you know, so I think maybe by moving venues, it kind of it might be, you know, a chance to do something different, a chance to kind of re-energize a little bit. And, and you know, while it's not a trip to Miami, the Home Depot Center is very lovely. Um, so It's nice it's down there, quite yeah. South Beach. Yeah, you know, not quite South Beach, but, you know, I mean, it's something different. And, uh I know if that happens, I'll be happy because it'll be closer to, to where I live. It'll be a, it'll be an easier drive, which will be nice. Very selfish uh, reasons. Yeah, when the, when the bowl things were coming out and we were talking about the possibilities, we we're like, yeah, you know, it's kind of there's like good and bad. You could go to the Fiesta Bowl or go to the Sugar Bowl or something, but I'm like, man, it's gonna be really expensive to fly everybody out there. So it's kind of you know, it's kind of nice for us, I guess, selfish reasons to be local. But I think. You know, a lot of the people I talked to wanted to go somewhere else and check something out. Are you worried that this team is going to be, you know, a little complacent? You could argue it's going to be the best team they're going to play all year in Penn State, so you should be able to get up for it. But four years in a row, you know, play, playing UCLA twice, if you're a fourth-year senior, I mean, this will be the sixth time you're playing in the stadium. It's not going to be, you know, there's not going to be that, ooh, you know, I've never been to the Rose Bowl before. I mean, they've been there, you know, as much as you'd play in the Coliseum for a year. I think I think they focus on the positives that, you know, it won't be a problem to get families out there for the game. It won't be a problem to get fans out there for the you know, I mean, it's gonna be an easy trip for everybody. 
You don't have to deal with all of those distractions. Um, I think that they, they embrace it. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, this, this is a program that's steeped in tradition. I mean, they, they do a great job of tradition. Obviously, you know, they're willing to waste timeouts for a tradition. And I think, you know, this is where the Pac-10 champions should play is the Rose Bowl. I mean, that's the way it's been, um, you know, for God knows how long, you know. I mean, that's one, I mean, that's tradition. And, and I think it's interesting is, is, you know, I think they'll sell that. I do think that Penn State is the best team that they're going to play all year. I'm not going to this will be a route like past um, USC Big Ten matchups. I think Penn State's a little bit of a different team than, you know, maybe Michigan or Illinois were. Um, the last two years, I think, uh, I think maybe the only thing that, that is in the back of people's minds is that, you know, USC is clearly one of the, like the, the four best teams in the country. I mean, I don't think anybody can make that argument, even though they finished five in the BCS, I think that their level of talent and, and the way that they, their defense, I mean, easily kind of falls into that top four with Texas, Oklahoma and Florida. And, and I really do think people would have loved to see them play one of those three teams. Certainly. And, you know, I mean, you look at, you look at Texas and you're like, eh, I mean, it would have been so much nice for Texas as well and, and, and to play Texas here. I mean, obviously for, for so many, for so many reasons, I mean, including, you know, what happened the last time the two teams played in the Rose Bowl. I mean, it was just one of the greatest college football games ever, you know? Um, and, and that's, I think was one thing that maybe some players wish they could have gotten a crack at one of those big 12 teams to really show that, you know what? I know they're putting up a lot of points, but you know they haven't played a good. De- they haven't played a defense like ours yet. Yeah, the the biggest issue I have is with. I mean, I, yeah, I think Penn State's a really good team. I don't know if they're better than Ohio State and this USC offense, which isn't all that great. And they played well against Ohio State, put up thirty five points. I mean, that was a lot more than what Penn State did. But we'll we'll be able to break that down and talk about that game coming up. Well, and I mean, Ohio State. Your, your allegiance to I mean, the, the Big Ten. Your allegiance to the Big Ten. And you're thinking that, oh, this will be different this year. It's going to be hard to convince USC fans that USC is not going to pound this team because every time they play a Big Ten team, it's just brutal, especially a Big Ten team that's going to have to wait five or six weeks before they play, travel across the country, and be enamored with the Rose Bowl because they haven't been there for years. I do agree with that. I, I mean, I think that there are certain aspects that, you know, there are big hurdles. I mean, you're essentially playing a home game, you know, against USC. And that's never easy for any team. I mean, nonetheless, you know, a team that, you know, that has to travel like that. I think that, though, Penn State has some weapons, and I, I think it would be um, not a prudent thing for USC to do to, to, to think about what they've done to other Big Ten teams because I do think Penn State's a very good team, and they beat Ohio State. I mean, they're a field goal away from being undefeated this year. You know? I mean, they're, they're as close to being, they're, they were as close to being undefeated as any other team in the country. Certainly, yeah. I mean, you I'm know, just saying that they they, they squeak by they Ohio State. They'd they be squ- playing in the national they, championship. They game. squeak by Ohio State, where USC crushed Ohio State, but they also beat Oregon State at home, and USC lost to them. So, I mean, there's a lot we can talk about that. But you were down mm-hmm. there at the Rose Bowl. The uh, I was. there was a lot of hype about the jerseys coming into the game, you know, and it, obviously the game wasn't uh, all that exciting and a, a timeout. <laughs> a t- we were talking about, you know, a timeout didn't really matter. You could lose a timeout. They could have lost all their timeouts. It wouldn't have uh, made any sort of difference. What did you feel? What was the, the, I mean, I don't think the atmosphere was all that great as far as a, a USC-UCLA game goes just because the high, I mean, the, the build up to it just because it was, you know, a, a terrible UCLA team. And, but 
Did it add something to it seeing those similar colored jerseys? I mean, not similar colors, but the both home jerseys on the field at the same time. I thought it looked cool. I don't know if it added anything to the game. Um, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of, you know, it was neat. I thought, you know, you couldn't really tell if UCLA meant to take a timeout on the first on the kickoff because they had three. But I mean, I think that was a class move. I think you know, all signs were that they were going to take that timeout. I thought it looked cool. Um, I, you know. It's hard for me to gauge what the atmosphere is like because this was my first one. But the the thing that I thought was neat was that, you know, I thought the game, is, is from an atmospheric standpoint, started as well as it could have with, you know, a USC stop to get, to get their fans, you know, really hyped up. And then a fumble on the first play, you know, and then a trick play for a touchdown, I mean, for UCLA. I mean, their fans were like, by then the stadium was, was pretty much filled in. And their fans were loud, you know. I mean, they were excited about that, obviously, you know. And that really was, I mean, they had that lead for, you know, almost eight minutes in the game. And, you know, that's something a lot of teams haven't been able to say, you know, or who gets USC this year. And then, obviously, you know, USC starts on to really control the game. Uh, they start to move the ball through the air. And, and really, um, the game should have been more one-sided in the score than it was. I mean, I can think of at least – I mean, you can make an argument that there was at least 16 points left on the field. Yeah, all that. Obviously, the field goals, goals, yeah. Interceptions. Yeah. Um, All right, well, let's look ahead. The the Sark announcement came. Pete Carroll couldn't keep it under wraps. Obviously, it was the worst-kept secret in college football that Sark was going. Um, You know, you talk to Coach Morton or Coach Smith, and it looks like the two of them will probably be in that role at some, you know, some way. They could change it up. They could do something else. Pete Carroll doesn't want to really make any kind of decisions right now. We talked in the last segment to Coach Harvey Hyde, and we both kind of questioned the fact of keeping Sarkeesian on there. I, we just don't know. Is he going to really be able to be focused on getting this team ready when he has to do so much up at Washington? Obviously, they don't have a bowl game since they didn't even win a game, but you know, recruiting has got to be a big part of what he's doing there, and it's going to be tough, you know, for him to try to do both. I mean, uh, USC coaches in the past have stayed on. Um, you know, uh, the example that jumps out to me is Ed Orgeron. He stayed on before going to Mississippi, before before doing all those jabs at Ole Miss. I mean, he stayed on with the team. You know, I think, if anything, um, you know, it, it. I think it's nice, really. I mean, it, it didn't surprise me at all. I surprised a lot of people. I know you were one of them that thought it was, you know, a little strange but, I mean, I think it's fairly common in these, in these circumstances for a guy to stay on, a coordinator to stay on through a bowl game. Um, I think where it gets weird is if you're a little nervous about, you know, well, maybe is he going to start talking to coaches here that we want to keep? You know, is he going to talk to guys like Rocky Seto about, about maybe, you know, maybe a promotion at defensive coordinator or something like that? And, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost like here's an extra month for Sark to, to try to build, um, well, not build, but, you know, to try to show that some of these guys that he's got relationships with that maybe, you know, he'd be a good head coach and maybe he'd be fun to, fun to work for and maybe a change would be good for them. I think that's interesting. Um, but, I mean, I don't really, you know, I'm pretty pretty confident in Sark's um, kind of ability to stay focused on, on a game plan. You know, obviously when you look at going into UCLA, I mean, the distractions were there. I mean, he was interviewing and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, he was talking to other people. And really, I thought they played pretty well offensively against, you know, against UCLA. I mean, over 400, over 450 yards of total offense. You know, I mean, they they were fine. Like I said, they, they just should have scored more points. 
Um, and I don't think that's necessarily his fault. He can't go kick the field goals and, and do stuff like that, and he can't, you know, fix the red zone interception. But I, I, I see, I see the point on that. I just don't really think it holds much credence. I think that the bigger distraction would be to say, you know what, Sark, it's been fun having you here. See you later. We're gonna hand the reins over to somebody else who, who you know, we're gonna have to go and staff for it. Someone who's never done it before. And this is, you know, we're not going to give them any learning curve. They've got to get us ready for the biggest game of our season. Yeah, okay. Um, I think we disagree a little bit on if the offense performed well, but I've been kind of critical of that all year. But we can skip over that. But the, the you brought up a good point with the uh, – a good point by Dan. I know it's kind of strange. But you brought up a good point with the assistants. Um, I mean, Lane Kiffin is out there. Obviously, he was a former USC guy. You have um, Steve Sarkeesian up there at the University of Washington. What, you know, if you had a gut feeling on this, or even if you don't, let us know what you think. What, you know, do you think any of these assistant coaches will move on and either go with Kiffin or with Sark? Um, I think some will. Um, I, I don't think it'll be a huge number. I think, um, you know, I think the, the most obvious relationship I've been made aware of um, from Kiffin's standpoint is with, you know, David Watson, the guy that they've known, you know, um, he's been, since childhood. And, and that that's certainly an option. Um, but, I mean, that's, again, I mean, he won't be able to offer him an, an upgrade in his position, you know. I mean, he's going to be a defensive line coach either here or he'll be a defensive line coach there. Um, you know, I think that that's one thing that's that's out there that's interesting. Um, you know, another thing that that's out there I think would be, um, you know, um, a friend of the show, uh, Bruce Feldman, in, his, in one of his uh, recent chats on ESPN.com, mentioned that, you know, maybe – Rocky could go to Washington because he's got some family up there and, and maybe, you know, he's a guy who has got experience, you know, in a system that's been very successful at USC and maybe he's a guy who's primed for a, um, a promotion, you know, to a defensive coordinator. Now I would, if I were Sark, I, I don't know if I'd be willing to do that because, you know, you're a first, you're a first time head coach. I don't know if you want to bring in first time coordinators with you. I would think that you would want to balance some of that with experience guys that have been around and guys that can kind of show you, you know, maybe, well, this is how people do it, you know, stuff like that. Guys that have that kind of experience in the background. But I think that's an interesting one. I mean, I think you could look at Yogi Roth as a guy who is obviously close to Sark, um, who could go, or a guy like Chris, Chris Richard, I mean, is, is another guy who could potentially go and, and be a secondary coach or something like that. Um, I think you could look at the graduate assistants as guys that are maybe in line for, for full-time coaching positions and it would be, but it would, it wouldn't be major ones. You know, Yogi would be a guy who could maybe go, I would think because he knows Sark's offense. They work obviously very well together. And, and that to me is the most interesting one. I mean, John Morton mentioned that he had conversations with Sark about, about that, but I, I don't really see that happening. Yeah. Especially if he can become the offensive coordinator here at USC, you'd probably rather do that than go to Washington. And that, that's, I mean, that's the question. A lot of these times that you, know, do you want to make a parallel move to a, you know, different kind of program that could be more up and coming or not as established, or do you want, if you get an upgrade, obviously that's a nice thing. You go from a position coach to a coordinator. I think that the Ken Norton names come up before and they think, oh, he could go to UCLA. I'm like, well, if he could go to UCLA, if he becomes a defensive coordinator, but not to become a linebacker coach there. I mean, that's, that's a parallel move to a program that's in a lot worse shape. And I don't think, you know, he hasn't really shown any kind of allegiance to his, his alma mater there, at least, you know, while he's at SC, I'm, I'm sure if he got the defensive coordinator job there, like if Dwayne Walker went to San Diego state or something and they hired Ken Norton, you know, he'd be back to a UCLA guy. But as of now, I mean, he's, 
he's all I see. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Maybe even Todd McNair going somewhere as a running back coach. We'll have to see. I mean, there'll be a lot of stuff going on. But like you said, I think a lot of this is going to happen in that crazy time from the time the bowl game ends to signing day because there's so much stuff that's going on during that period. It looks like if there's a bunch of changes, it'll probably start happening then. Yeah, obviously you want to have everything settled by signing day so you can tell kids, you know, okay, this is going to be your coach. You know, you're in it. so, you know, a guy like Matt Barkley is going to know who's going to be running the offense. I mean, you, you obviously you want to know that by then because then you don't want any last-minute defections, I guess, from your class. Um, I think, though, you know, it, it is kind of crazy. I mean, it could be a quick scramble. It could be something where, you know, the dominoes start to fall, and if guys, you know, leave, they might move guys in or, or, or whatever. I think that the thing that – is, is most interesting that I'm at least curious to see is, is are they willing to go outside the program for any open positions? I think that's the one thing, I mean, that to me is going to be the the big thing, you know, is if, you know, John Morton becomes offensive coordinator, well, you're out the wide receivers coach, you know, or, or quarterbacks coach, or, you know, do they do something like that? You know, do do or or do they reach out outside of the program? Even though you know, I I don't think of Carl Smith as being that outside of the program because he's already coached at USC and, and you know him and him and Pete have such a a long relationship. I mean, will will they will they interview any any guys that are out there that are you know kind of hot offensive coordinators or guys that you know are from other successful programs? I think that that's one thing that USC fans are kind of curious about is that. You know, there's there's a feeling that hey, you know, this is USC. We should have the best coaches in the country because we get the best players in the country. And that's not a disparaging remark at John Morton. Like I don't mean it like that, but I mean there are certainly names out there that are more attractive. I think when you hear them, you know, I mean that to me that's that's an interesting kind of subplot to this. But you know, Pete doesn't seem like he wants to to do that. Um, I asked him point blank, you know, and he had said uh, Sunday. I asked him, you know. Would he consider, or, or would they interview anybody from outside the program, or you know, have, has he spoken to anybody other than Carl Smith or um, John Morton about the job? And he said, you know, no, we haven't, and I don't know if we're going to interview anybody outside, you know. And and I and I think that's mostly because that they don't want to make big changes. I mean, it's one of those things where I, I, obviously it's worked for them for for you know many years, and it's it's hard to be like you know, well, they're not doing things right. But I've always found that just in general, when you resist change, you know, when, I mean, obviously everything's evolving, you know, I mean, in college football, like things are different this year than they were three years ago with the offenses and defenses and personnel packages and everything like that. I mean, and when you resist kind of changing with the game, at some point in time, it passes you by. Yeah, we'll you know, see. I, hasn't hasn't sure happened yet, happen. but it's, yeah, it hasn't happened yet, but it's definitely a, a possibility. All right, Dan. Well, that's all the time we have for this segment. Thank you very much for uh, sharing your insights. And we'll definitely have you on next week talking about the matchup with Penn State. We'll get a little more X's and O's, see who uh, who you think is good on the other side of the ball over there for the Nittany Lions. All right. I look forward to it. Everyone else, don't forget to check out our new website, peristylepodcast.com, where you have all the past episodes. You can get all the latest on the Peristyle Podcast. And we'll be back after this really short break with Chris Houston, the Heisman Pundit. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. 
Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, our third and final segment. And we have a first-time guest in this segment. He is the Heisman guru. You can call him the Heisman Pundit. It's Chris Houston of HeismanPundit.com. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Hey, glad to be here, Ryan. All right. Well, just wanted to, uh, you know, the race coming up this weekend. We're going to find out who wins the Heisman Trophy. There's a chance to get a a two-time back-to-back winner. It could be, you know, first-time winner for Sam Bradford or bunch of other guys out there what, what's the overall what's the overall picture looking like now for the Heisman well I think it's very close this could be the closest Heisman race uh in a three-way sense since 1995 when you had Eddie George and uh Tommy Frazier and Danny Werfel going into the ceremony with nobody knowing who was going to win I think that uh right now I'm projecting Sam Bradford to be the likely winner but really it's anyone's guess is as good as anybody's right now now Bradford had the the Decent performance, you know, they put up 60 points in every game, so obviously you get some gaudy numbers there. But, you know, I talked to you before, and I'd read some of your stuff, and you really felt that if Colt McCoy was kind of left out of the Big 12 championship game, that he might be able to come in and, and you know, become the leader if uh, once Graham Harrell got knocked off. What happened to Colt's chances there? Well, McCoy's still got a chance. He's right there with the other two. But there's sort of been a surge for Tim Tebow since he had that game against Alabama in the SEC title game. And so it's kind of kept a little bit of the attention away from that whole notion of the, you know, Texas being, you know, left out. So it's kind of sucked out all the air out of that, that argument in a sense. So right now, uh, McCoy's getting a lot of votes and he's getting a lot of support. But, you know, with Tebow surging, it looks like, uh, you know, he's stealing some of McCoy's thunder. Now, if Tebow wins, this will be the second year in a row he broke one of your Heisman mets. And if you if people haven't checked out the site, go to HeismanPundit.com, and there's 10 Heisman mets there that tell you, you know, the rules on how to win the Heisman. One of them was that, you know, you could, couldn't be an underclassman. And another one was that it, no one's ever going to win two in a row again. So if, would Tim Tebow just be, I guess that would kind of justify you a little bit. It would take a guy like Tim Tebow to break any Heisman mets, and he broke two of them if he does win. Yeah, I might have to do some Heismending, uh, the Heismandments, <laughs> if, uh, if that goes. You know, the Heismandments were always um, supposed to be the reflection of the race as it currently stood. And if Tim Tebow, you know, shifts the landscape of the Heisman electorate in a way that they now see it, you know, suitable to, you know, vote for sophomores or, or vote for guys twice, then we may have to, uh, you know, do some amending in the same way we would amend the Constitution uh, you know, it's a living, breathing document, as some say. So um, I'll have to look at that at the end of the year. But, you know, if it is Tebow doing it, you know, I might also have to chalk it up to, hey, this guy is a freak of nature, and look what he did. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. It could almost justify it because, like, look, yeah, it, the Heisman minutes were broke, but this guy is such a freak. Um, do you think there's any lashback, you know, when you have guys like Eric Crouch winning the Heisman? And not a lot of people are projecting Tebow as an NFL quarterback. I mean, some will. Um, do you think there's any kind of the, the voters take that into consideration? They look at Bradford like he could be more of an NFL quarterback, so we would rather him win the Heisman than a guy like Tebow, who who could make it in the NFL. But you know, when you see guys like Vince Young, who was a superstar in college, kind of 
not doing as well there. Do you think there would be any kind of lashback and not votes going against Tebow because of that? Well, I think they take it into account, but I think, you know, the uh, there's a big gap now between, you know, those old days it was the option guys like Crouch uh, that people thought wouldn't be, they knew they wouldn't be NFL guys, but there's kind of a, kind of, there's more of a spillover now between, you know, the current styles and the NFL uh, with the spread, you know, kind of getting, you know, some of those elements getting into the NFL now. And, you know, it, it's not as much of a stretch for a spread quarterback like a Tebow or, or a Vince Young to adjust to the NFL as much as it was in the old days with Tommy Frazier or Eric Crouch, because these guys can at least pass. So, and, you know, for all Vince Young has done, he's experiencing uh, issues that maybe a lot of, uh, a lot of quarterbacks would do whether they're in a pro system or not. So, and remember, Vince Young did not win the Heisman, so maybe that was a factor. Yeah, and well, guys like Alex Smith too came out of that Urban Meyer system, and then they've struggled yeah. in the NFL. So I guess we'll have to see kind of what goes on there. I mean, it should be an interesting, interesting race. Like you said, it could come down to three. Graham Hill's completely out, though. You think there's no way he could come back? Yeah, he he lost the Heisman by about forty-four points. Well, <laughs> when they lost to uh, Oklahoma. That makes sense. So we'll have to see. I mean, it, a lot of people are saying that there could be a lot of split votes between guys like McCoy and, you know, and Bradford because they're coming from the same you know geographical area and that Tebow kind of own almost the entire Southeast. Well, yeah, well, but it's not like the Electoral College where there's this huge bulk of, of you know, votes in one and a smaller bulk in the other. It's, they're, all, they're all the same amount of votes. So... Uh, you know, if Tebow dominates the Southeast, he's still got to do well in the other regions to, to win. And from what I can tell, I don't think he's going to do well in the Midwest unless the Big Ten people suddenly got an affinity for SEC players. Uh, or out West, I think the out West people are going to, you know, go more for the, the guys closer to them. So I think, uh, you know, what's going to come down to is the second place votes. I think Tebow's getting a lot of first place votes, but I'm not so sure that uh, Bradford uh, isn't going to win on the strength of his uh, down-ballot voting. And I think uh, we could have a situation like 1978 where um, the winner does not have the most first-place votes. Very possible. Ooh, that, who was back in 78 that did that? Uh, Billy Sims won the Heisman, but he did not get the most first-place votes. The most first-place votes went to Chuck Fusina of Penn State. and uh, But Fusina did not get a lot of second- and third-place votes, or did not get enough to put himself over the top. Ah, so that's some some good history there, some good Heisman history uh, yeah it should be interesting to see you have a poll though you talk 10 actual i think it's 10 actual heisman voters and and they kind of come up with the poll who's on top of that poll right now well my final poll of the year had sam bradford beating out tebow and, and mccoy uh, in, a, in a tight race um but i'm gonna say that i think bradford looking around uh at the various uh media sources out there and also looking at a great website called Stiff Arm Trophy, which actually uh, samples Heisman polling. Um, it does look like Bradford is the guy to beat right now. No, yeah, there was a, I don't remember, maybe it was the Stiff Arm Trophy poll where they call as many Heisman voters as you possibly can. I mean, you talk to the same 10 guys every week, so you try to you keep it updated throughout the season. Is there, yeah. there's, there's some poll out there that was very good at projecting every year. And, you know, with a close race, that, that, could, that could change right now. Well, it's interesting. Uh, the Scripps Howard News poll is the one that has been the most famous over the years, and, and they like to tout that they've picked 19 of the last 21 uh, correctly in the final poll. But this year they picked McCoy, so they're putting that at stake. And they, I think the last time they were wrong was when they picked um, Jason White over Matt Leinart. So 
Oh. I see, you know, what happened there. See, if they followed the highest amendments, they would know that white could not win it two years in a row, but you know, whatever, right. the water under the bridge. Well, let's, uh, for SC fans, obviously, you know, they've won, uh, seven Heismans. That's tied for the most with Notre Dame and Ohio state. Uh, I mean, who is the best guy on the SC roster right now that has a shot to, to be in the Heisman consideration in the next couple of years? Well, the best guy is Mark Sanchez. You know, he's going to enter his senior year, assuming he comes back uh, with a bunch of name recognition. Uh, he'll be uh, coming off a 30-touchdown, 10-interception uh, minimum performance. Uh, you know, hopefully he can get up, get to have a great Rose Bowl. You know, the, oftentimes the bowl game is the great launching pad for the next season. So if Mark Sanchez has a great Rose Bowl, just like Matt Leinert had a great Rose Bowl against Michigan in 2003-2004, uh, you know, it can set you up as the front runner for the next year, and it'll, a lot of it will depend on uh, how some of these guys decide. Uh, you know, if Tim Tebow goes pro, or Sam Bradford, or I know Colt McCoy's coming back, so he's going to automatically be one of the front runners. Um, but Sanchez uh, is probably a guy who maybe his time is ripe because uh, USC hasn't really had a marquee offensive player uh, since Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush in 2005. So. I think uh, he's going to be a prime Heisman candidate if he can approximate the year or better the year he had this year. Now, what about a guy like a Joe McKnight who's definitely got you know explosive ability? It just it seems the way the USC offense is running right now, there's probably not going to be the same kind of opportunities for a guy like him to make it on the national stage and win a Heisman like, like Reggie Bush did. Well, you know, any one of those USC tailbacks could win the Heisman in a heartbeat if they, if they had the reps. Uh, certainly Joe McKnight, uh, with his ability, could could be a Reggie Bush type player. I don't think he's on that level athletically, but you know, he's certainly. You don't have to be as good as Reggie Bush to win the Heisman. You just have to be better than the guys out there currently. So, uh, and Joe McKnight is is certainly as good or better than uh, many running backs out there. Um, Stephon Johnson is a guy who, if he got a lot of carries, uh, he could get 1,500 yards and win a Heisman. Um, and even C.J. Gable could potentially be that kind of guy. So. It just depends on getting enough reps, getting enough carries, and with a crowded backfield and even a Mark Tyler coming along next year, uh, it's going to be very difficult for any USC backs in the future to uh, win a Heisman. And last one, uh, just on the whole tailback, you know, in general, you know, there's no tailbacks in the running to win the Heisman this year. Uh, I mean, you talk about the tailbacks and your Heisman, but is that going to change at all? Is it just going to be quarterbacks from the top teams going forward or is there going to be some opportunities for other guys like a like a receiver that also plays special teams or, or a tailback to win the Heisman in the next few years? No, there's always a chance. It just depends on the crop. This year was an exceptionally strong year for quarterbacks, especially in the Big 12. You had four different guys from the Big 12 who were number one on the various Heisman polls during the year, just like there were various teams in the Big 12, you know, getting in and out of the top five. So, yeah, you know, this was the weakest year for running backs in the Heisman since 2001. There will not be a Heisman, uh, our top five guy in the Heisman vote, uh, who's a running back since 2001, the first time. So, but I think next year you're going to have some better, uh, some better candidates. You're going to have Java Best out of Cal, who's explosive, and you're going to have um, potentially Sean Green out of Iowa coming back, and he had a huge year this year. You'd have Noel Devine out there in uh, West Virginia. There's there's a few more guys this year. But it might be another year where quarterbacks are dominant. That's just the nature of the cycle this year. The All right. Couple of years. Chris Houston, HeismanPundit.com. Check it out. The Heisman will be awarded this weekend. Chris, thanks for uh, joining us, and we'll definitely have you on again in the future. Anytime. All right. Everyone else, thanks very much. That's our show for this week. We'll be back next week talking USC Penn State going to the Rose Bowl. 
listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.